0: Welcome back to Happy Porch Radio. This season, we are talking about circular economy. Today, Barry and I are joined by Pablo van den Boss, one of the co-founders of Madaste, which is an online platform that's based on the vision that waste is material without an identity. It works in the construction and materials industry. We had a great conversation with Pablo. It was really inspiring for me. I know that you also really enjoyed it, Barry.
1: Yeah, one of the things I most enjoyed about Pablo's enthusiasm was how much he described the more difficult the problem, the more enjoyable it was. I really empathize with that as one of the things that brought me to technology and to coding is solving difficult problems. And so over the last few years and realising about the sort of value of the circular economy being able to say well actually the even bigger problem <laughs> and therefore the more interesting challenge again is how to use that technology in the real world with real people with really tra- difficult and problems and I suspect looking at the built environment and working in the construction industry <laughs> and approaching circular economy and trying to make mind shifts in that industry must be a very big challenge.
0: Yeah, it does seem like a particularly difficult industry to be working on such a transition because it is a big change and there's a lot that has to be done, I think, particularly in that industry to get to a point of circularity. And it's great to hear that Pablo is so enthusiastic about that challenge. It was really nice to hear from
1: him. And it's really fun as well, coming at this from the digital and software industry perspective, to see how important and how impactful. The technology is, while also acknowledging those challenges, Pablo talks about that, but about, he talked about the platform economy and how a platform like this, with an interesting problem of how to collect and manage big data, and then also that impact. And then he had touched on only, I suspect, a small sample of the ways that a platform like that could and is being used by a huge variety of different businesses and people within the different points of the building process, I guess. And that's really cool to me as well, to see how the platform can be used in that way.
0: Right. And at the minute, I believe the platform is only currently being used in the Netherlands and has recently been rolled out in Switzerland. So it's actually just kind of the beginning. Who knows where we can go and what we can do with this technology in this industry. So that's really exciting.
1: It is. It is. (laughs) Off air. He talked about potential (laughs) users in London and in Queensland. So that's really cool as well. And so without any further ado let's meet Pablo.
2: My name is Pablo van der Bos and I'm one of the founders of Madaster, the register for products and materials in the built environment. I'm living in the Netherlands um, and working internationally.
1: Welcome to the show. It's really great to have you here. I'm really interested in uh, Madaster and I guess that would maybe be the place to start. Can you give us the high level view of what does Madaster do and who does it do it for?
2: We started Maduster about four years ago. Madaster is an online register to upload information about products and materials used in the built environment stones, glass, steel that you use in your building or your bridge or road. And the reason that we do that is that we believe that in order to eliminate waste you should make sure that material gets an identity because waste actually is material without an identity so by writing down what you've used products and materials always keep its identity and with that identity they never have to become waste but they will always keep its value that's why we started it and it was a new concept so four years ago we explained what you could do with it like creating material passports after the registration and we have been building up the concept, building up the platform, the online platform, and rolling out Modaster. Initially in the Netherlands, we're now live in Switzerland too, and working on rolling out Moduster in other countries.
1: Really cool. So let's take a little bit into, like you said, the digital passport or the identity part. Is it like you identify a specific material, a specific set of material, the metal or the whatever that's in the building? Or is it more a case of this is this building and it contains this amount of material,
2: if you see what I mean? Yeah. Let me explain it just very simply. And i start with a new building. We can also do it for existing buildings, but let's start with a new building. So you go to an architect and you ask the architect, can you draw me a building? And then you go to a constructor and you ask the constructor, I've got a drawing of the architect. Can you build what the architect has drawn? And the builder starts to build using the drawings that were made by the architect and were enriched with information about materials and products that are used to actually build from concrete, glass, steel, et cetera. And that information, so the blueprint that is being used by the builders is nowadays almost always digitally available. We call that building information models, 3D drawings that are used to build. And these 3D drawings can be uploaded to our platform. And by uploading it, we recognize what products and materials were used. So what we do is we make the information available that the professionals in the building industry use to actually create buildings. And we keep that, we store it, and we take all the information out of these 3D complex models, making sure that we can identify each and every element that is used to build and that can be up to the nitty-gritty detail like which stone is used on what story of the building it obviously depends on the quality of the drawing that determines the quality of the registration on our platform but it can be very detailed so where is what material used in what quantities
1: must be an interesting, or is it a challenging process? Like you said, it depends on the quality of the drawing. Is that information that is easily extractable from these models, or is it a complex piece of technology that you have that extracts that level of understanding?
2: The platform does have some nice technology that is not very easy to create. On the other hand, we've got beautiful minds around the world, and I bet that if somebody else wants to make it, it's a matter of getting the right Minds set to work and then you can create it. The real challenge is not in the technology. The real challenge is in explaining why people should register the stuff that they've used to build something. And it is in explaining to people why it's important to understand in what type of building you work or you live. Because we are doing this because we want to eliminate waste. We want to make sure That our economy is not only consuming materials, but it's temporarily using it and giving it back again to our society when you don't use it anymore. But it's important to understand in what type of building you live and work or go to school, because it might be toxic material, it might be of a bad quality. And that is what we try to do. So the technology is actually doable, convincing people to take interest into products and materials in the built environment is something that is actually quite challenging. And that's what we're doing, but quite challenging means a fantastic thing to do. And I'm very glad that we're gaining momentum and that more and more people and organizations are becoming aware of the importance. And sometimes that is because people do care about our planet, do care about future generations. Sometimes people just care about the health And there are also people that only care about money and they see that if you know what you have in your building, that that represents an amount of money or value and they want to clarify it so they can determine the risk or the future value that they can monetize. So depending Mm -hmm. upon the people that we talk to, we have various perspectives that we can present why we think it's important to invest into creating Documents like material passports or registering products and materials.
0: Yeah, I think the reason why it sounds like it is really the crux of what you're doing is that kind of convincing and persuading people that this is really important. What is the kind of underlying philosophy for Madaster towards material use and the responsibility that we have as human beings and part of the planet as we're using materials what's the kind of overall philosophy for Madasta there yeah
2: i was inspired by my colleague thomas rao the architect i used to work as a consultant in the financial services industry and i met him a couple of years ago the architect and he shared his vision which i can easily explain and that vision is we live in a closed system called Earth. So nothing comes in, nothing goes out. We've got to do with all the resources that planet Earth is giving us, even though Elon Musk tries to get something out of Mars. Up until now, we've got to do what we have on this planet. And if, which is, I think, a fact, our planet is a closed system, it means that everything we have is a limited edition because nothing comes in, nothing goes out. And if everything is a limited edition, Why do we treat in our economic system, why do we treat certain material as waste? and We throw it away because it does have a value. And then get to the term that waste actually is material without an identity. Let's give it an identity using the concept of passports. So we started this inspired by the vision of Thomas. We started this where we said, we do believe this concept. We do believe this vision and we want to Stay on this planet for a very long time using the limited resources it has, or the limited additions it has. Why don't we come up with an idea to create an economy that can last forever using these limited resources? And that's what other people call, and we call as well, a circular economy. And by mm. thinking out loud, we said, What is missing? Why do we still have that linear economy and not a circular economy? And we said the missing link, at least that's how far we came, the missing link was that in the linear system, we trust upon who owns what. And we have a proper registration of ownership. But when the ownership stops, we don't care in the linear economy. We throw things away. In a circular economy, when ownership stops or you don't use something anymore, we don't have that information. And then we said, well, let's try to fill that gap. Let's try to... Facilitate that point in the economy that you move from the one owner to the other, because the old owner doesn't see the function of the material anymore, and we want to facilitate that with data, because data is something that keeps our economy running. And instead of owning all that data, we said we should create some sort of a public register where the data will be available for others as well, because we want to stimulate that economy. And that's how we got to the concept of Madasta. And instead Mm -hmm. of writing down everything on paper, we said, okay, how can we do that a bit more smart? And we were inspired by a couple of the big tech giants in the world. If you have to document every car that can act as a taxi, it's going to cost you a zillion years. Uber did it in a couple of years. If you have to describe each and everyone's bedroom, you have to travel around the world, it's going to take you ages. But Airbnb did it in, again, just a very short amount of time. So we said, let's grab that concept of a platform economy to facilitate that all users can upload their own information. So instead of us traveling around the world, describing what materials are there, we said, let's facilitate with a platform that everybody can register and upload its own information. And instead of convincing architects that they have to do something new or constructors or engineers we said why don't you give us the material that you already have the registrations you already have but you never give to the buyer or the owner of the user of property and that's the 3d models and you need expensive software to read those models and we said we'll fix that and that's what we've done with the platform
0: okay that actually comes back to another question i had you mentioned in the example you gave earlier on that that was how you would do it for a new building a development but that you could also apply this registration of materials to older buildings or existing buildings so that's kind of a case of the user uploads their own information is that right
2: yeah so we all live in a house and that's not a static thing although Houses, residential buildings do not change as often as, for instance, hospitals or logistical buildings, but you do maintenance now and then. You paint it, you change the floor, maybe you do some different glazing, maybe you do an extension or you convert the garage into an extra bedroom. And those lifetime events of buildings are typical moments that you do think about, what do I have and how do I want to change it? Or think about the situation that you... Buy a house or you sell your house or you want to make it more energy efficient. These are the lifetime experiences of buildings where it makes sense to actually gather information and keep that information by registering it. That makes sense to do that at lifetime events. And then the way how to gather that information can be very simple by just uploading the invoice you got from your painter. You probably can document what type of paint that you put in your house. Uh, so what's the color, okay. what's the brand? But you can do it mm-hmm. also much more sophisticated. For instance, with the doing a point cloud scan uh, where you get a very detailed picture of your room by getting a point cloud. And so there are all sorts of ways to create a register or to create documentation of existing buildings. And we facilitate that.
0: It's interesting what you were saying about kind of the shift from ownership to use a ship. Would you describe it that way, that that's the mentality shift that you are trying to harbor?
2: Yeah, that is definitely something in a typical linear economy. You own something or you buy a product from a manufacturer and then it's yours. And when you don't need it anymore, you either throw it away and if you're lucky, you can sell it to somebody else. In a linear economy, because there is a limited set available, it becomes much more important to continue that use by reusing it, reusing it, reusing it. So that requires quite some things of the way how you design and make products, but also the way how you treat them while using them. And the classical right. way of owning it and moving that towards using it, and so from being an owner to a product as a service, makes a lot of sense. And in order to facilitate that new structure from owning to using it as a service, you need to have proper documentation as well because the next user wants to understand what have you done with it? What's the condition? Can I continue yeah. the same service? And it makes a lot of sense to have that data available. Maybe you should do a refurbishment in yeah. the meantime.
0: Yeah, exactly. At the beginning, you made the perhaps bold claim that a material with an identity will never become waste yeah. and it always mm-hmm. has value. Yeah. And what you just mentioned kind of was exactly what I was going to ask around that, because any material as you use it will with wear and tear or just general usage will kind of degrade in some way,
2: yeah.
0: maybe mm-hmm. only with regards to its primary use. Yeah. And there might be other uses that could come out of it, I suppose. But could you just speak a little bit to that claim of material never becomes waste i mean is Mm -hmm. there never a point in the cycle Mm -hmm. where it's just kind of got to the point where it's no longer of use to anyone
2: it's an extremely bold statement i agree on that (laughs) i'm afraid that it's not for the full scientific hundred percent reality people told me that for instance with plastics the plastic fibres and uh, you can reuse them and you can degrade and then upgrade them for about seven times. And then after seven times, you cannot use those fibers anymore. And I'm mm. not a material specialist. You cannot use the same product over and over and over again. And uh, there is some degradation in it. Yes, I can see that. just like with a steel beam, I'm just a simple guy looking at a steel beam. And I think it will be as strong as it is now, as it will be in the next hundred years. But then technical experts say, now there is a decrease in the strength of that steel. And I can't see it, but apparently that is the situation. So you need to be aware that you cannot use something indefinitely forever. But if you look at the current way how we treat materials, there is a lot of stuff that we appoint as waste or not useful anymore because it doesn't have an economic value anymore, while the material value or the actual use can be extended easily. Everybody understands the concept of the telephones we have, the cell phones, where everybody can see that the physical thing is still perfectly intact, but because there was a software upgrade, we cannot use it anymore. The material is still perfectly in good shape and good condition, but we organized in our economic system that the cell phone became useless. We have to throw it away as a client And then with some luck, a manufacturer says, you can give it back to me and I give you 10 euros or 15 pounds or whatever for it. While the actual phone itself, nothing's wrong with it after two years. I just don't get it. And that phone will not last for a thousand years. I fully understand that. But definitely longer than two or three.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I actually really like that, ball Kim. And as you say, I think because the predominant current mindset is so linear and so short term thinking that those sort of bold claims are needed in order to challenge in my opinion and that is something i wanted to touch on as well you mentioned at the start that it is a challenge and then you went on to say that that is kind of the point of it or the pleasure in it or the benefit of it is the fact that you're taking on this very difficult challenge of creating an inventory for the built environment for buildings mm-hmm. and you talked about the challenge, the bigger part of that challenge being the non-technology, the explaining to people. So is part of that challenge of explaining and getting people to understand, is that partly because of that mindset of, I'm thinking about from a business point of view, used to use the cell phone as an example, their business model very often is built entirely around the fact that I'll be encouraged or need to buy a new phone every couple of years. They want to do that. You know, It's the opposite of doing a genuine circular thinking. Is that the kind of challenge you meant by when you were talking about how difficult it is to explain that?
2: So the mindset of many people is that they want to be serviced, they want to benefit, and changing your behavior because it's good for others is just very difficult. And I think that going from a linear to a circular business model, might be challenging from an intellectual point of view but from an economic point of view you can just make as much money with a circular business model as with a linear business model but you just need to be a bit more creative it's a different way of thinking and explaining that and trying to come up with examples so you help other entrepreneurs or you help consumers with this insight is something that i really do like but that is the challenge So explaining to people that drive a car where you say, if, if you could choose to owning a fantastic car with all the risks involved that the thing breaks down or that residual value after five years of driving is lower than expected, but you have the car. What if you compare that to a situation where you pay the same amount of money, but you can get a new car or a refurbished car, which looks brand new every three years, what would you do? And then people say, yeah, in the end, I don't care. If you have that, Elon Musk stated it a while ago when he didn't move on with the concept, but he said, "Wherever, whatever city you enter, you can always pick up a Tesla S model and it will be there for you. And they're all the same. So it doesn't matter if it's yours or if it's a rental Model S, it will be always available. And then people say, yeah, actually quite handy. So helping people to think differently about ownership and think about what is it what you really want and then for some people it helps a lot in changing their way of thinking by saying and additionally we can do better for our planet as well and then people say i want to be green if it doesn't hurt me and i even really want to be green if it is a better deal for me and that's what we try to explain and we explain that. Not to the typical retail consumer, but we do explain this to governments, to real estate developers, real estate investors, and constructors. And that's a very classical sector. So it requires a lot of fun (laughs) to make them change.
1: I find it interesting that you're obviously finding the challenge there, the difficult part, seeing that as the fun part, rather than some other people who might be running away or trying to think, oh, I'm not going to move out of my comfort zone here is that something that just is naturally you enjoying a challenge or is there another sort of purpose behind that the fact that you're seeing that as fun
2: it's fun when I became a consultant I ended up in the financial services industry not because I like banks or investors but I like the puzzles they have they have got complex puzzles and I like to puzzle that's what I like to do That changed towards, after a while, I saw quite some financial puzzles. And I thought, well, there are more puzzles in the world. And there are even more interesting puzzles. And being inspired by that architect, I thought, this is a real puzzle. (laughs) This is a real challenging one. And I do get fun out of having a conversation with a typical financially driven investor in real estate, where these professionals, most of the time, when they talk about circular economy, they think that people from that circular economy are driven only by making a better world. And I said, I, I love business models as well. I just love the puzzle. And I understand that it's your objective to make the most alpha, as they call it, yeah, the most profit out of it. That's what I really think is a fun to do, but b also important to make a crossover between the various sectors or the various segments in our society. Doing good for Earth can also do good for economy, and that can make an impact. And then using technology, um, because we can do so much with technology nowadays if you use technology in the right way. And so you have to think about the negative impact of using technology as well. So the puzzle becomes even more interesting.
1: I think that's intriguing as well. As you say, looking at the whole system and the impacts, positive and negative, and how technology fits that in, being, I guess, from the software industry myself and from web and digital, quite often the appeal of working with technology or code is a problem to solve. So I can completely empathize Mm -hmm. with what you're describing there. And also to your point about the technology, it's not an isolation. It's not like solving a technology problem actually is made more interesting. And because it is harder... When you have to look at how that fits into the real world and the people and the mindset and all those those things you touched on, it's really interesting.
2: Yes, about the technology part, uh, I'd like to share what we invest quite some time and thoughts in is the we're talking about big data. If you gather all information about products and materials applied in the building, you talk about an immense amount of information. And the simple question who owns this? Is it the owner of the physical product that owns the digital copy of that? And if you gather two types of information from two different owners, who owns the right to do something with that? We've got the big tech firms in the world that made a statement around that. And they said, well, if we apply algorithms to that amount of data, it's ours, and we can make a profit based on smart combinations of data of our users. And that's the benefit we had when we started a couple of years ago, that we saw some of the excess, the negative impacts of taking the right to do all sorts of creative stuff with data. We said, oh, we've seen what can go into the wrong way. So we try to set up Madaster, being very much aware of the fact that we're at the beginning of an economic system that is driven by technology, where not everybody understands what is the impact. We don't understand it either, but we know we have to be careful with it and be very transparent about it and continue asking questions around it. Are we doing this in such a way that it can last for a long time? Because that, in the end, is what we try to establish, to establish a long-term positive impact on our economy with respect to the way how we treat the planet.
0: Mm, And with that use of big data, as you say, there are issues of kind of security and privacy and that line between privacy and transparency is one that lots of companies that use big data kind of have to balance on. Is it something that you address directly with your clients, this idea of their data security in your platform?
2: Yeah, so there are various levels of the content of this discussion around privacy and security. The most superficial level with respect to security is that you want to make sure that no one else can see your data or get your data that is yours on the platform. That's a simple one. But you can get into deeper levels around security, what to do, what all the information about products and materials in a particular area, the city. Now, let's take the example of a country. Should all the registration of buildings and construction objects in the UK, is it okay if that data is being stored in the US or that it is stored within the European Union? Is that okay or not? So that is a more difficult question and definitely an interesting question compared to have you assured on your platform that client A does not see or cannot change the data of client B. That's pretty clear. And with privacy, the simple version is that You should not be able to see who owns a particular building. But what if you know that there are a thousand wooden doors registered in a particular city? Is that privacy sensitive or not? Probably not. But if you know that there are 20 wooden doors available in a particular postal code area, does that then become privacy sensitive? Yes or no? So there are no clear guidelines around that. And what we do is we want to look for the discussion around that. What do we think as a society or as an owner or an investor around this? What if the bank that wants to finance your building says, I want to take a look at what materials you've used? Because if you use toxic materials, there is a risk that you cannot pay your mortgage at a particular point in time. Do we agree with that? Well, I don't know. It's an interesting public debate. And with technology, we get more and more information, and that requires some sort of an awareness of how should we treat that enormous amount of information?
1: Mm-hmm. Taking a problem like you and Minister is taking on is so big that there's so many facets that, as you said, it's challenging in so many different ways. And you started to maybe sort of try and pick out some examples there, but I wanted to go back to that. You mentioned earlier in a conversation as well about finding examples to sort of make it clear to people the value of what you're doing. Do you have any stories or specific examples that you can share?
2: Oh, yeah, certainly. I think for you and the listeners, it's important. We just have a theoretical discussion or a discussion about the theory and the impact of such a big data around products and materials. But what we do with Madaster on a day-to-day basis is not that complex or theoretical or far away. So I'll give you a couple of examples of what we do on a daily basis that makes it much more tangible. Within the Netherlands we have a big development company they build thousands of houses on a yearly basis and that development company said we are going to buy material passports for building passports for the houses that we build so they hire constructors they hire architects and they all need to work with madaster so when a household buys a house of that particular developer they receive a Madaster file that includes all the materials and products and the drawings. So when you buy the house, you get this for the next couple of years, you get this file for free because that's what the developer did. If you want to adjust your house, as I said, you want to change the garage into a bedroom or you want to do a painting or maybe the doors are not as strong as you thought and they break down too often, you can simply look at Madaster and say, it is not working correctly, fix it. And then for the constructor, they can see what type of door or what type of garage were we talking about? Because there are thousands of houses per year that are being built. So with that information, it becomes much more easy to provide service to the owner. You can check, is there a liability issue with the manufacturer of the product? So that you can call the manufacturer and say, hey, you gave me bad quality and fix it. Or is it a Service requests that you can provide a proposal to adjust something or to provide new services. So with that information, the way how you treat change requests or reporting problems becomes much more easy. Another pragmatic solution that we did was there was a hospital in the Netherlands that was going to be demolished. And instead of asking different demolishers to come up with a price, they did a quick registration of the hospital on Madaster. So they didn't register each and everything, but they did a quick and dirty registration, send it out to a group of demolishers and said, how can you demolish this, trying to maximize the value of all the products that come out of the demolishing process. So because it was digitally available, Every demolisher got the same information and they could describe the process, how they wanted to maximize the value by selling off these products. And that just led to a higher price of the revenue that could be made with all the products and materials that came available because of the demolishing activity. So that is pragmatic. That's what we do. That's what the modaster is doing now. So when you have a registration and you have some steel and beams registered, you do a transformation, steel and beams become available. Instead of taking these steel beams onto a truck, drive them to a place and then try to sell them, you can now digitally pick them up, put them on a digital marketplace, look for the highest price. So who wants to have these steel beams? And when you've found a buyer for the right price, then you can actually start taking out the physical products and transport them to the next buyer way easier much more time to find the right buyer for your product because when you say i've got a couple of steel beams who wants to pick them up next week the chance that you get a low price is bigger than the chance that you get a high price that's what madastra is facilitating with the digital registration
0: that's really interesting because it sounds so varied there's a lot of opportunity for kind of different kinds of interactions with different people working at different stages of development and building Mm -hmm. and also different kinds of materials being used in lots of different ways. So it sounds really broad, which is cool. And also plays to what you've already mentioned about this idea of circular economy is only really limited to what the human imagination can come up with. You mentioned this idea of challenge Mm -hmm. and just being a bit more creative and seeing where we can go with the circular economy. And I think that's really inspiring. It's a great way to look at it and to think, if we can think of better ways of living with the planet and all the resources at our fingertips, then it's possible. You know, it's just our own imaginations that can guide us. So within that, just as a kind of broad and big dream question, (laughs) where does your imagination take you when you think about the future of the circular economy?
2: i well, been working on this for a couple of years now, and I think that's also the answer to your question about what is a dream. And my dream is that we'll pretty soon end up with a situation that we cannot imagine anymore—that we had an economy that was linear. Mm. That is my dream, because <laughs> and working this for just a couple of years, I just cannot imagine anymore that you do not take into account the end of view situation. Our existence on this planet isn't a linear thing. It is for me as an individual person, but not for us as people on this planet. And humankind is one, but think about the resources that are on this planet that will stay here forever. So, why have we created agreements between people that we call economy, where we think it is a linear thing? That's strange. So, my dream is that there will be a moment in time that we just cannot imagine anymore that you did not take into account the continuity of the things that we are doing. And I think Mm. that is something that is my expectation on the one hand side, but also my dream because I think that that is a good thing. That's great.
0: Thank you.
1: Yeah. That's really awesome and inspiring. Unfortunately, we're running out of time and there's several other things I wish we had time to cover, including the fact that you have a nonprofit foundation that's involved in the way the Minister operates. Is that
2: right? Yeah, that's right. And we did that for a couple of reasons. The foundation definitely in the beginning helped us with spreading the word. So the foundation wants to stimulate the transition towards circular economy. And more and more countries do adopt it. But we need all the support, not only from business, but also science, engineers, and governments to explain what the benefits are of a circular economy. And what we've done in our business model, our governance model, is that we said, because we don't know yet what the impact is of such a thing where all the data is being gathered, we want to guarantee that there's a fully independent entity looking at what we are doing with the Madaster business activities, that it's in spirit of how we started Madaster, so that the data, the big data, is available for the circular economy, that we are profitable enough to ensure continuity, but we do not abuse the position to make more profit. We don't want to be profit-driven, but impact-driven. And in order to make impact, you need to be profitable, And I can think all sorts of reasons, or I can think about saying, yes, we are doing the right thing, but how good would it be to have somebody fully independent that's checking that? And that's what we thought, if we want to do that, let's establish that at inception instead of organizing it when it's too late. So that's why we started that foundation from day one onwards, just to make sure that there is an independent view on circular economy and the things that Madasta are doing. Mm.
1: I think that's amazing. It ties everything together for me in a way. We started talking about how and why and where you started Medister and and you very eloquently stated that big picture dream. But then the fact that you're doing, as you say, from day one, the, the Nonprofit Foundation as a way to ensure and prove that those values are living right the way through the business. I think that's a really excellent proof of living those values. I think that's very inspiring as well. And so, unfortunately, as I say, there would be so much more. As always, with this circular economy season, there's been so many amazing conversations. And this, I think, is very much up there with the best. If listeners want to go and find out more about the work you're doing and about Medister, where can they go?
2: Ooh, yeah, the simple answer is always we have a website. <laughs> so that definitely is possible. We are much open to explaining what we are doing. So if you reach out, we are always there to explain. We are there to share information. Everything we do is as transparent as possible. So we can share what's technology behind it. If we can support with either be a presentation or do a demonstration, if you want to use our platform, if you want to have a demo, we support that. We do this to support people that want to realize the same dreams as we have. So we're very open to that. And that's why we are active literally all around the world. Because we do not have a strategy to say like an MBA kind of thing where you do an analysis. This is my country strategy. I start in place A and then place B, place C. Our strategy is that we follow people. When people reach out, when people are motivated to do something, we respond to that and we support them. And that's our international strategy. (laughs) That's how we broaden the way where we work. And that brought us to all sorts of places. Because I'm very glad that, and probably amongst your listeners as well, there are a lot of people that really want to contribute to changing the way how we live on this planet and how we live as a community. And we like to support that. So if people say, I want to know more, there's always the website. If you want to know more in person, just reach out. We're there to support.
1: Wonderful. That sounds really good. As usual, we'll put a link on the happyporchradio.com Show notes there, the website for my distors, M-A-D-A-S-T-E-R.com. Thank you so much, Pablo. Really appreciated your conversation today.
2: Thank you very much, Barry and Emily. It was great being on your show. (laughs) Thank
0: you, Pablo. You can find notes and links from this episode, plus a full transcript at happyporchradio.com. If you are enjoying the show, please take a moment to give us a positive review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening to Happy Porch Radio.